Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, coming to you from two SER studios in Sydney on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Broadcast right around Australia on the Community Radio Network and around the world, wherever you get your podcasts. Each week, we take a closer look at the business issues making up the news. This program is made possible by the assistance of the UTS Business School. Today on the show, we're talking about social security. During the worst days of the COVID pandemic, many Australians may have had their first experience with Centrelink. However, there are thousands of Australians who rely on the system to survive, and also for whom navigating reams of paperwork to claim a payment is a weekly task. Whether it be people living with disability, students, victims of domestic violence, single mums, or people just looking for work, the scope of Australians who rely on welfare is vast. Yet the system is notorious for both its complexity and its punitive nature. To help explore the pitfalls of Australia's social security system and to offer some simple solutions, I'm joined in the studio by Leanne Ho, CEO of Economic Justice Australia, and by Julius Golap, solicitor at the Welfare Rights Centre. Leanne, Julius, thanks so much for joining me today here on Think Business Futures. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Stefan. Now... Leanne, you recently attended the government's National Jobs Summit and made a powerful speech there. I'm going to play a little bit of it now for our listeners. Have a listen to this. Economic Justice Australia's legal centres see thousands of people every year whose job-seeking efforts are frustrated by their dealings with the social security system. A mum who can't finish TAFE because she's swamped with parents' next obligations a mum who can't pay for meds for her disabled child because she got cut off payment when her child was in hospital. Disability support pension is a payment that allows people with a partial capacity to work to cycle in and out of employment as their capacity allows them to participate. But you only have to look at the 56 pages of forms to see how impenetrable that system is. Here's a question on page 23. Are you 21 years of age? Wait for it. Have you worked and earned at least 75% of the maximum wage level A of the transitional Australian pay and classification scale or a modern award applicable to trainees within an 18-month period since last leaving secondary school? Can anyone in this room answer that question? <laughs> the social security system has the power, the potential to change lives. We helped a survivor to get onto parenting payment, having her domestic violence recognised. She used that payment to retrain as a social worker and now she helps others in the same position. A great result, but she needed a lawyer to get it. It shouldn't be this hard. We need the system to change. It's the system that needs to change. Thank you. Leanne, thank you. So, Leanne, your final words in that speech were, it's the system that needs to change. Let's start by identifying some of the biggest and most common challenges that sort of run across all aspects of our social security system. Well, over time, it's become more and more complex. So you will have heard in my speech 
an example of just one question in the mm. form for disability support pension. Because I was under the pump, I actually didn't get to explain that those 56 pages of forms are actually just the start. The person making a claim for the disability support pension has to then go and get evidence from their doctor and, you know, if they've got a mental illness, it might be a psychiatrist and there's just so much information that they need to gather and it's so difficult for anyone, like I was saying, all the politicians and CEOs in the room couldn't answer that question. Mm. So you can imagine if you're in a really tricky situation, if you've got a brain injury, if you don't have um, the levels of education, it might be really difficult to navigate the system and it's only gotten more complex. Mm, okay, Julius, is this what you see with the people that you work with? Is is the challenge of navigating the you know pages and pages of paperwork and the complexities and the the bureaucratic language and things like that one of the one of the biggest biggest issues? Absolutely, it's such a long and arduous process trying to go through um, to apply for a Centrelink payment, let alone the disability support pension. Mm. It can take sometimes up to six months just to hear back with a decision about whether you've been granted the payment or not. Um, in those six months, who knows what's happened in your life, whether your disabilities have worsened. And those worsened conditions might not be able to be taken into account with how the law is set up around it. Mm. Yeah, you'd often see people, right, who don't get a decision for many months and then end up having to claim again. Mm, yeah, people do end up having to claim again or they start going through the appeals process, which can add months, sometimes years. Mm. And I suppose when it comes to something as significant as, you know, the disability support pension, and you mentioned people with a brain injury, we're talking about people with intellectual disabilities, there seems to be such a level of assumed competence when it comes to being able to understand and 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 complete the processes. And you're also talking about this this huge time scale which which can be critical for a person's ability to live independently or ability to you know just just live with basic needs do you see this julius yeah it's it's a system that shouldn't require lawyers to be able to navigate it mm. the question uh, the question leanne brought up during the job summit speech that question barely relates to the pension at all mm. it's more of a question of whether you're under a certain age and whether you're dependent on your parents, and if not, whether you've earned this certain amount. But it makes no sense at all. And it barely makes any sense to lawyers that are reading it. Mm. Leanne, is there anything else? I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, the difficulty, and it can be difficult for anyone, like you mentioned in your speech. You know, there's politicians there and there's senior bureaucrats who don't even understand the question that you asked. You can see them when you watch the video sort of shaking their head in bemusement as to what what is this question even talking about? Is where What other barriers do we see here? What other challenges are seen other than, you know, say you have someone who is a carer or, you know, you go to an organisation that can help you with these sorts of things and, and you sort of start out on the right path. What are, what are some of the other challenges that people face with our social security system? A lot of our payments now are actually activity tested, which means that you have to comply with mutual obligations and undertake some activities in order to keep getting your payment. Mm. And over time the system around 
those mutual obligations has become more and more complex, but also more and more punitive. So that if you don't comply in exactly the right way, then your payment could actually be suspended or cut off altogether. Mm. Um, And often people don't even know exactly what they're meant to do because it's so complicated, but also because they are people who need support. Their life circumstances mean they can't always do everything that's in their plan or that's um, a requirement for them to do. Often the requirements themselves aren't necessarily suited to that person's situation. And I gave the example at the job summit of a mum who had a disabled child and she couldn't attend an appointment with her job service provider because her child was actually in hospital and the system at the time just couldn't cope with that situation. I mean, we've got a system, a new system now called Workforce Australia, um, where similar kinds of problems are going to arise because the system is inflexible and it's requiring you know, people to kind of fit in with a drop-down box or, you know, preset reasons why they might not be able to attend an appointment, Mm. which doesn't always take into account the realities in people's lives. Absolutely. Julius, do you you see this impacting people, the people that you work with as well? I'd say we see it on a daily basis, people that are running into problems with meeting these criteria to be able to maintain their eligibility for a payment. And particularly with this new... Workforce Australia scheme that's come in. Um, We've already seen issues start to arise with it. People that should be exempt from having to meet these criteria that aren't for one reason or another and are having to try and navigate these onerous job search requirements. You know, people in flood prone areas perhaps that are trying to meet requirements applying for 20 jobs a month. And, you know, these jobs might not exist and definitely don't cater to these people's conditions. Mm. We've also had a lady who only speaks Mandarin who is um, experiencing family and domestic violence and she wasn't immediately given an exemption either and was struggling with these job search requirements while also trying to find safety and rebuild her life to you know, find um, just re-establishing her home. Um, so, so eventually with the help of a social worker, she was able to get this exemption. But what we're saying is it really shouldn't be this hard. It's something that should be obvious. Mm, absolutely. Um, Julius, I'll ask you, mm-hmm. why do you think we have this system? It seems like there's almost like a government mistrust of the public that, that they won't do the right thing or that we're going to have too many people exploiting the system, which sort of leads to, you know, a return mistrust in government, this perhaps a mentality that, you know, Centrelink are against me. They're going to try to not give me my payment no matter what. Like, why do you think we have this? Because we have a social welfare system that's there to provide for people who need it. I fail to understand why there are all these processes in place that that just make it so difficult. I think the social security system has this punitive nature to it. 
where there are so many different opportunities for people's payments to be cancelled. Mm. Um, you know, if they do the slightest thing wrong, their payment is suspended and then possibly cancelled, and they've ever got to reapply. Or again, try and go through this lengthy appeals process to get back on a payment. And I think it's somewhat of a systemic problem we have in Australia, where we have this real um, distrust of people on social security payments or this stigma associated with receiving payments. Mm. Leanne, do you agree with that? Absolutely. And over time, there's been this shift towards being more punitive and to blame the people who need this support. This could be anyone in our lives. It could be a friend. It could be one of our family members. It could be our neighbour. You know, anyone at any time could just have something happen in their life, which means they need the support of the social security system. We saw that with COVID. All of a sudden, people who never thought they would need to be on job seeker payment suddenly needed to be on that payment. Mm. So it could happen to any of us. But I'd really like to um, uh, use the imagery that Minister Shorten used about the NDIS because there was um, a story a few weeks ago about really high levels of um, fraud in the NDIS system. Mm. I really appreciated the Minister saying, you know, one cent paid to a fraudster is one cent too many, but we're not going to close the front door to people who need that support. What we're going to do is focus on making sure that all of our investigations, the back door is closed to fraud, that we put the onus on the government to actually do the investigation and work out where there's fraud and to not pay there. Don't close the front door to the people who need it. Mm. Yeah, it's it's very interesting the the sort of culture that's that's been taken on and and you know you mentioned the word fraud and I think that it's almost as if I'm just sort of thinking out loud now but Australian culture has always had this idea of the dole bludger in in the conversation around social security and the stigma that's associated with it the type of person who just lives off social welfare and never never tries to find a job however you know we identify things like victims of domestic violence, people on disability support. Um, the social welfare system extends so far beyond, you know, what was the dole now job seeker, um, and as you mentioned, fraud, fraud is one aspect. But I, I wonder if it's perhaps a part of this sort of grandfathered culture of we don't want any dull bludgers, this sort of everyone in Australia has to work for what they have and, and things like that and whether or not the government sort of takes on that narrative and, and that's what sort of is perpetuated through our social security system. Leanne, yes, please. Um, so it came through really loud and clear through the Jobs Summit who the most disadvantaged groups are, the ones that have the greatest barriers to participation are people over 55. Mm -hmm. So definitely not your stereotype of the, you know, 20-something-year-old doll bludger. They're over 55. They've got a partial capacity to work through Mm -hmm. um, disability or people who've been long-term unemployed for more than 12 months. So I think we really need to shift those stereotypes to the reality, to what the data tells us are the people who really need that help. Mm, Absolutely. 
Julius, when we talk about making changes to improve the system, like Leanne called for at the job summit, do you think there's some low-hanging fruit there? Are there some ways that, you know, that are just sort of no-brainers, things that we can change quickly that will help a lot of people? There absolutely are. Um, one in particular is, um, excuse me, the provisions around debt waiver in the Social Security Act, particularly for victims of family and domestic violence. With the way the legislation is worded, if you or another person have knowingly misled Centrelink, you're precluded from being able to get a debt wiped because of your circumstances. Um, this, in effect, precludes people that have been victims of coercive control mm. by partners in domestic violence relationships, where perhaps they've been forced to misreport their income or their partner's income, or perhaps they've been forced to tell Centrelink they're single. Mm. But yet when the relationship break down, so breaks down, or if they're able to flee, they're still left with this debt that they're not able to do anything about. Mm, absolutely. We we did an episode of this show on economic abuse recently and the types of situations that people can find themselves in and the fact that uh, you know, we have a social welfare system that doesn't recognise this as, as a big issue. And like you mentioned, uh, having debts wiped and things like that, there you go. Leanne, do you have any, any, other, any other, you know, bits of low-hanging fruit that you think that we could easily address? Before I move on to that, I'd just like sure. to add to what Julissa has said. Because it's not only that um, the waiver isn't available to you if you've knowingly failed to comply with Centrelink, but it's also if another person knowingly fails to comply. Mm. So to put that simply, it can be the violent partner or ex-partner who's lied to Centrelink, but it's actually the victim or survivor of domestic violence who's still lumped with the dead. We wouldn't put up with that in any other area of law where you can be held responsible for something that you're violent partner or ex-partner did, mm. but somehow that still carries on today in the social security system and that's got to change. Mm. Mm. The system definitely has these outdated perceptions and it needs to, it needs to, um, you know, come to terms with how society has changed. It needs to change with society. Mm, absolutely. Leanne, any other any other things that you see that could be, you know, first things to address, ones that could could happen quite quickly? I imagine, you know, re-establishing a whole system of paperwork and, you know, accountability and, and all those sorts of things is a long process. But uh, is there anything else that's sort of simple that, that can be addressed immediately? Well, we're actually working with the government at the moment just looking at a simple thing of um, making letters that come from Centrelink easier to understand and more transparent. Right. Um, so you know, back in the day, you'd get a letter about a debt to Centrelink and it would explain how the debt arose. You know, maybe it's because um, you were caring for the children and then Centrelink believed that the care of the children went to you know, the ex-husband for a while and so you weren't entitled to parenting payment. Mm. But now the letter doesn't say any of that. All it says is you owe this many thousands of dollars and you have to pay it. Mm. 
So what we'd like to see reintroduced into those letters is just more of an explanation about the debt so that people can see, is it right, is it wrong, how do I challenge it? And also explain, you have rights, you can actually appeal this. Um, so that's a very simple, should be a very mm. simple thing to fix that would give people, empower people um, to be able to challenge decisions of Centrelink and feel like they could get some trust back in the system because they can more transparently see how decisions are being made. Mm, absolutely. I I can't imagine what it's like to to have this sort of final declaration that you know you have to pay this debt with no no explanation no recourse and you know you're in you're in a, a fragile position you may be in a fragile position and and you just you just want to tell your story to someone and say look this isn't fair we, you just you just need to explain your situation you know to anyone in the world they they'd understand but to be in a position where you're not given any rationale as to why a decision was made you must feel so powerless and especially you know these types of things are difficult to navigate for a lot of people, um, you know, it doesn't matter what position you hold in society. It's it's hard. Not only is it hard, it's it's time consuming. It's annoying. It's frustrating. All these sorts of things. So, you know, just to have that simple change, I can totally I can totally imagine how it must change things for people. Julius, these debts they're often can be in the tens of thousands of dollars, particularly for family tax benefit payments. Yet all the letter will say on it is your family circumstances have changed. Mm. This is something we see week in and week out at our member centres. Clients that contact us about these Centrelink debts. When we ask them, why do you know why you have the debt? All they can say is they've received a letter that says their family circumstances changed. They have mm. no idea what's happened and what's occurred that's led to this. Mm. And lawyers like Julius will ring Centrelink on the client's behalf and even the debt specialist on the other line at Centrelink, all they can say is how much the debt is and to organise a payment plan. So, you know, there's a real problem with resourcing at Centrelink as well, that the person on the other end of the phone should be able to explain how the debt arose and not just be reading off a screen the amount of the debt. Mm. It shouldn't take trawling through a sometimes thousand-page-long freedom of information request mm. to try and find out why someone has a debt. Absolutely. Uh, look, we are slowly running out of time or quickly running out of time. The last thing that I want to talk about, the last thing that we have time to get to, is cost of living because we're experiencing cost of living pressures like we haven't seen in a very, very long time. Now, on the 20th of September, job seeker payments will increase by $1.80 taking the daily rate to $48, which is still well below the poverty line. Leanne, tell us about the current state of affairs in the relationship between cost of living and social security and the, and the, and the, the conversation between government and around government around increasing these things to something that resembles a payment that allows people to, to, to get by, essentially. I think it's almost universal now, the understanding that these payments are too low, you can't live on them. I have heard some people say, oh, but, you know, on top of the base rate, you get all of these, you know, supplementary payments. Well, I mean, that's been completely debunked. Anti-Poverty mm. Week have, you know, explained that even with all of the supplementary payments, you know, a, a mum with two kids is going to live 
below the poverty line on those payments. So government really just needs to prioritise this. I understand we're in a really tough fiscal environment, but we're talking about people's ability to eat and Mm. put a roof over their head. And I should also mention that, you know, you've talked about the job seeker rate, but youth allowance is even less. Mm, Absolutely. Mm. Um, So these are often, you know, young people, um, they may be students, they may be looking for work. Um, Perhaps they're living at home with their parents or in particular, young people that have had to leave home for one reason or another, you know, trying to survive on this bare subsistence payment eking out an existence fortnight by fortnight, trying to cover increasing costs of food, increasing costs of rent and other bills. Mm, Absolutely. I think it's interesting when you start thinking about the politics when it comes to this, because you did mention then that we're, you know, in a tough economic position at the moment, but previous to the bushfires, we had a government that was focused on balancing the budget and, and getting there and we were experiencing, you know, pretty pretty good economic growth and, and, and we were getting there, yet these conversations still weren't on the table. This wasn't something that the government was really interested in addressing. So, you know, despite our position now, it's not something that the government's really taken any steps to addressing and... I think it's a very convenient excuse that we're now in a <laughs> in a tough economic position. How do you see, and, and we'll use this to wrap up, but how do you see us moving forward? How do you see change being being made on a, on a broad scale level when it comes to both reforming social security and allowing people to access what they need and also increasing those payments to allow people to, to, to live a normal life? It's really a false economy to think that by making these savings now in the social security payments that we're not going to see those costs just kicked further down the road in, you know, health or mental health costs or violence or whatever the social costs are downstream, Mm -hmm. we're paying for the fact that we're not investing in people now in giving them the basics that they need to live. Julius? Julius? Thoughts on that to finish off? Yeah, I think we really need to keep in mind that these are real people trying to get by on a day-by-day basis. And $48 isn't enough to get by on a day-by-day basis. Mm, absolutely. I, I, it, it is a, a tough conversation and both of you are working for organisations that are, that are trying to address this. Um, I've just played a snippet of Leanne's speech but i urge everyone to to go google it and have a look at it and we'll put a link in the show notes how how you can go and and have a look at that speech from the from the job summit that is unfortunately all we have time for there's so much more to get to maybe we'll do a round two where we can talk about things like robo debt and you know the aged care pension and those sorts of things but uh that's that's it for today we'll have to leave it there leanne and julius thanks so much for joining me on think business futures thanks for thank you Thank you for joining us for another episode of Think Business Futures. Thank you to my guests, Julius Golab and Leanne Ho. You can listen and share this chat wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to get Think Business Futures in your feed each week. And please support the show by leaving a review. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, and I'll see you again somewhere in the world of business next week.